Hi, I'm Jackie Lewis. Hi, I'm Ruby Sales. And this is Women Talk God, a podcast about God, movement building, redemption, and healing the soul of America. So, we are here a couple of days after what would have been Martin Luther King Jr.'s 91st birthday. We are here on the precipice of something wild in our nation. But I wonder if we, the first things we could talk about would be lessons from that community that held Dr. King and you. What are, what are some of the lessons from King, that community, that you'd want to share with us today? First of all, I, I would like to invite each of you to go on an inner journey. Because to talk about King's work is first and foremost a spiritual project. King dealt with the matters of the soul. He came to redeem the souls of America from the soul murder and the assassination of the guardians of whiteness against the souls of everyone in society by reducing us to simply one identity, which is skin. There's nothing in skin. There's ethnicity, there's sexuality, there's gender, there's religion, but skin is nothing. And so do you really think that Rosa Parks and those gallant black, ordinary black people who were maids and janitors, do you think they sat down on the bus simply to ride the bus? Do you think they had a boycott simply because they wanted to ride on the bus? It was first and foremost when they said, I will not be treated this way again. It was an assertion of freedom. It was a declaration of independence. It was a spiritual declaration of claiming their space in creation not the space that the empire had allocated them, but they, their place in God's creation. It was a spiritual assertion. And do you think that they were boycotting simply to change the position of black people in society? They were boycotting to shift the center of 400 years of gravity in the hearts of white Southerners. They did not see white Southerners because they understood they were in direct opposition to the words of, to the vision of the world where empires materialized existence and told us that the materialization of our existence is the ultimate expression of a good life not our inner consciousness, not our inner lives, by telling us that what we own, what we possess, and what we consume encourages us to consume life rather than live life. Let's, let's just take that in for a moment. To be consumers of their stories and believe that it's our stories. So it's important to understand that once, you, once the empire convinces you that you are privileged to be reduced to skin 
and to have your identity be merely what you possess and what you own and the power that you carry out, then they have replaced the presence of God in your life because they become the benefactors. They become the people that you go to for your nutrients, nutrients in life. By reducing you to skin and recreating you in your own image, in their image, they have become God. So first and foremost, the Southern Freedom Movement was a spiritual movement that dealt with idolatry, that reasserted the fundamental universal truth that there is but one God. Right. And that is the God that we will bow down and worship, not white men, not the enslavers. When, you, when you're saying that the, the sort of baseline sin or broken place is idolatry in that, in that moment. Yes. Um, I, I say we project, we make whiteness a god. Whiteness becomes the god. Yes. For white people too, right? In other words, the Southern Freedom Movement seeks to redeem the white soul and the black soul. Yes, it was a spiritual movement. Can you say more about that? For mm -hmm. all of us. Right. And it also was predicated on revolutionary love. Mm -hmm. Because black people being enslaved, black people being the objects of so much vitriolic hatred, understood that hatred demeaned and diminished the person who hated. Mm -hmm. And they did not want to be small in spirit. Harriet Tugman was part of the first mass movement, spiritual movement of black people in this country. It was a runaway movement of a community of enslaved people. And their eyes were watching whom, as George Neal Hurston said, their eyes were watching God. So I say a movement, because do you think Harriet Tugman did all that by herself? No. Nope. The community had to be in lockstep with that movement. Somebody had to keep the secret. Somebody had to look out for them. Somebody had to give them food. So it was a coordinated movement. So the Southern Freedom Movement descends from that movement that began in the Bush Harbors during enslavement. It is not a Northern Progressive Movement. It is not a materialization. You see, the Northern Progressive Movement is not a spiritual movement, it's wholly material. It says that if we give you the right to vote, if we give you access to an education, if you, if you do this, then you'll be just like the the ruling class, and you'll have a good life. But what the Southern Freedom Movement said was, wait. What we have to do is we have to do what? Have, as Martin Luther King says, we have to have a transformational values. What do you think about that, Jackie, as someone who deals with that question every day? Do you find that people are more apt to believe that freedom is a materialization of reality and not deal with the spiritual aspect and therefore believe. You see, when people tell you that you are privileged to have materialism and to consume life, why change? Why change? Yeah. Why change? Yeah. And I think the conversations you and I have been having the last month or so have really provoked me to um, examine, honestly, to examine an articulation of my faith. That's what I want to say. That the faith wasn't, wasn't missing, 
but to examine articulation of my faith. In other words, here we are with a poverty of values. We have so many uh, societal ills to list. And you asked me, and then a couple of congregants asked me, like, so what's the stuff, what's the stuff that fixes that? And I would say, Ruby, I agree with you in a way that our northern progressive conversations are sometimes godless. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't think we mean to be godless, but we, we're so left and so progressive and so open-minded, it so, could feel like God is quaint. And I just was kind of challenged by the power to articulate the why for me. Like the why for me, and therefore the why for us. And therefore the why for many of us is a kind of holy other that is both transcendent and imminent that I call God. And if we can tap into that power, I think there's more we can do than not do. There is something at work inside the human being that when we harness it, it's more than we are individually. Let me just say something very controversial, and you might want to engage in this, this controversy. Northern liberalism and, and conservatism is really a conversation between white people about how to best keep white supremacy in place. And so there's a different approach. The conservative says that, no, we're not going to let black folk or brown folk participate in nothing, that we're going to keep it all to ourselves. Right. And because they are subhuman and they are not capable and they are inferior. Right. Northern liberals said, hold on. We are going to take a little bit of what Machiavelli said. And although we're going to destroy the culture, what we're going to do is that we're going to melt them down to look like us. And we're going to let a few elites come in the door so that they won't, so that the masses won't ultimately tear down the house. And so we believe that, if, that, they, that they're not, that black folk have intelligence and that if we educate them, they can become just like us. And that's the melting pot integrationist experiment. But really it is not to tear the roof off the house, but it's to keep the house standing. And it's just a different approach to how that happens. Yes. And, and, and what I'm really trying to say is that this is what was different about the Southern Freedom Movement. It was a call to build a world house where there was plenty of good room for everybody. And Martin Luther King and members of the Southern Freedom Movement in my community realized that you had to wade in the water and you had to trouble the waters in order to, have a, uh, to, to create something different. So Martin Luther King, when you read him deeply and study him, he constantly railed against integration because he was not wanting to deculturalize black people. He did not want to strip us of our culture to become like white people. He wanted us to have a choice between democracy and apartheid. So what Northern liberal, and so there was this conversation between King and Northern liberals in the letter from Birmingham. He was just as upset with Northern liberals than he was with white conservatives or Southerners for very different reasons. Because in the long, when, the, when it finally happened, 
they were saying to him, go slow, you're moving too fast. That was not Southerners saying to him, they were saying, don't you move at all. Northern liberals were saying, don't you moving too fast. And he said, justice delayed is what? Justice denied. Justice denied. So what am I saying? I'm saying that you can have a hundred different politicians, you can vote in a million different people, but unless we have a change of values and a change of how we see each other, and unless we change our relationship with God and each other, we will keep reproducing the same spiritual diseases. Because who we are on the inside cannot be separated from what we do on the outside. So our business, Jackie and my business, we're not historians. We're not sociologists, although we do history. We're not politicians. We're faith workers. Our business is soul business. Spirit work. To help people rebuild the chasm between their inner lives and their outer existences. And to move from idolatry to an acceptance that there's only but one God. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I want to say about the movement, we did not believe that God's love exempted us from moral responsibility for the ways in which we lived in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Neither did we believe that God was all love and never anger. Because if God never gets angry, then why should you change? White Christians want this loving God who's never angry, who loves you no matter what you do, no matter how much genocide, no matter how much state sanction rate, no matter what, God is going to love you without any qualifications. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. Because if God loves you and, you're ste- and we're stepping on people, then that means that God doesn't love the people that we're stepping on. So that's a problem, right? It's a huge problem. Ruby, Peter Paris's book, Peter Paris's book, um, Spirituality of African People, old book. I read in seminary and it was trying to, he was trying to wrestle with like, how do Africans become Christian? What is, what, what, what's the foundational text, stories, faith, praxis that makes an African choose Christianity? And he did stuff about, you know, Trinity makes sense because we do ancestor worship and like all kinds of things. But I wondered, and I wonder what you think about this. Was it a gift to be African in America and to have the Spirit of God pulsating in the, in the bush, in the woods, in the cabins, singing, without having a canon, without having read all the crap, the empire scripture? In other words, the holy imagination or the spiritual imagination of, of Africans in America, we didn't have to walk through empire, imperialized stories to believe in a God of liberation and love. And I wonder if that's some kind of gift. Because, in fact, the Bible is humankind created, man created, in a conversation with God, right? It's theologically wrestling. It's not inerrant. If you think so and I have hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. It is, it is the theological project the Bible is, right? So, but you have Africans in America creating their own canon about hope and love and resilience and peace and we can get there together and love is in the wilderness. I think that just captures my imagination that they didn't have to walk through the, the empire to get to God. 
A lot of the Bible is, is the result of people having to walk through empire to get to God. So the Bible gets empired right away. I do not believe that it's a gift to be an African-American. What I think God's gift is, is that it is that God has said to us that, I have, that my consciousness, the consciousness of God, is in all of us. That's our gift. And what God has said to African-Americans, if you listen deeply enough, you will hear my voice. And I will never leave you alone. And I will be your light in a strange land. That I will be your host in an inhospitable land. But that invitation is open to all people who are willing to abide and listen to that very special and tender consciousness of God that is in each of us. Ruby, let me ask you another question about the source of this, the source of the community's um, resilience, ethos, work, the source of King's theology, the source of yours. Could you talk about black folks' religion in the movement? Could you say something about the text, the texture, the music, the... Black folk were faced with the fundamental question of how do we reaffirm our humanities in a society that imprisons us on plantations, sites of terror called plantations, and that try to reduce us to property and eradicate all of our humanities, even detach us from our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So they came up with the brilliant idea that they would use Christianity as a liberating force in their lives. And you could not read or write as, a, as an enslaved person because that was a capital punishment, subject to death. So what black people had to do, they had, we had to develop an oral tradition, right? And it was projected through songs and spirituals and through prayers. And if you listen carefully to black prayers of that generation, of those generations of enslaved people, when they would say, I want to thank you, God, for waking me up this morning and putting breath in my body. That sounds pretty neutral, right? But if you're enslaved and someone is telling you that they're the ones who only control you, for you to say that someone else puts breath in your body, what is that? That's a radical statement. That says that I don't believe that you're God, that you're not the one who's responsible for my getting down and my my sitting down and my getting up, right? And then we went on to say that I want to thank you for the use of my limbs, for the right to see, and master God, sir. Notice the language, master God, sir. I want to thank you for the multiplication of my tongue. I want to thank you for the words that I speak. I want to thank you for the complexity of my ideas. That was black folk theology. And then once they haven't thought, thank God, they would all sing, I love everybody, or I've got a right, you've got a right, I've got a right to the tree of life. Don't you know what the tree of life was? Creation and democracy a radical statement, so black people were speaking in parables with the, with the spirituals. So black folk theology is a life-giving theology compared to empire theology, which is death-driven theology. 
that separates us from the love of God, separates us from each other, separates us from our family, separates us from the multidimensional aspects of our identities. Whereas black folk theology was ordinary black folk coming together, engaging in a conversation, not only about God, but about their humanities. And believe it or not, even the humanity of the very people who were enslaving them. That's black folk theology. It's redemptive. It's reconciling. It's restorative. It's resurrection. Yeah. In the beginning was the consciousness of God. Not the word of God. I know the Bible says in the beginning was the word. I'm going to say that in the beginning was the consciousness of God. And the consciousness of God became manifested in creation. And everything in creation was of and by God and with God, right? Yes. So that you have the power to become whole, to be evolved, to, to, to touch your capacities. The only chains that hold us back are the chains that we've learned in empire. Let's do something different in the 21st century. Let's stop saying what, it is, what can we do for people to make their lives better. What can we do in our own lives that stand in the way of people having better lives? How do each of us bear the marks of empire? Our job is to get rid of all of that lust and longing in our hearts and to learn to be ordinary people who can stand before the world naked without form of fashion, believing with the faithfulness of our faith that we are somebody because God has already credentialed us. Mm. And that's what's necessary. For more resources on healing the world with love and justice, go to middlechurch.org. Thanks for listening.